Welcome to Story Smack. This is episode 60 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, number one New York Times bestselling novelist, and all I figured out how to do is the wax off part. I've been waxing off, oh, waxing off, and waxing how off, and waxing off, and I, I don't get the wax on part. But the wax off, I think I got that down pretty, got, pretty I gotcha. cold. I got you. We also have, again, back with us today, as Scott said, Empty Sets, Movie Maven, uh, Rob Otto. Hey, Rob Otto, how are you? Hello, ya? Rob. Hello, Siglers. How are you? We're Good. doing great. We're, how about yourself? Good. I just want to remind you that the wax on makes the wax off so much easier. Just oh, gosh. Just how did so. I not see any of this coming? <laughs> you oh, and I just, have. yeah, I obviously should have. And I just said, <laughs> let's just move on. Uh, you know, when I, when I asked you, we could have my uh, my buddy Rob Otto, my lifelong buddy Rob Otto on as a regular, regular guest. Yeah. You should have assumed we had the same sense of humor. You I, knew, I already knew you guys back before we ever had a, a, a live stream. So, yes, I should have known better. But uh, this week, let's get to it. This week we are discussing The Karate Kid, yes. the original Karate Kid from the 80s. Uh, and uh, we're doing this partially because it did so well in our greatest sports movie of all time bracket that we live stream twice a, twice a week on Sigler and Place. I'm turning you up a little bit there, baby, just so you know what's going on. Do you want um, us to movie? Do you want yeah. to give us movie trailer? Let's guy? do the movie movie trailer guy voice. Here we go. Back back to Maine. Daniel LaRusso is a teenager who moves from New Jersey to Los Angeles after his widowed mother, Lucille, gets a new job. Daniel is unhappy at having to move, make new friends, and leave his old friends behind. But he promises Lucille he'll do his best to make a new life in California. After sacrificing a goat and a chicken, Daniel discovers his lifelong mentor who will guide him through the world of Santa Maria. Okay. I'm Was that sure. the wrong movie? Well, at least it's, maybe it's a Richard Cadry version in, in his Sandman <laughs> We had a Richard Cadry on. That'd we be dope. We have to. Yeah, we, we had Richard Cadry on our, our show. Uh, so I that actually. That might have been cut from the theatrical <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> it's the Red Band trailer. It's the Red okay. Band trailer. Um, I actually did a similar thing when I was in high school, junior high school, I guess. I moved from You sacrificed a goat and a chicken? <laughs> <laughs> only in the Red Line version. Only in the Red Line version. Um. I moved from New York City to Vancouver, Washington, which at the time was quite a small town on the border, on the Columbia River, the border between Washington and Oregon, and uh, had similar problems going from a big city to a big city field to a, a much smaller experience. It was it was a little bit of a rough time that first season. Um, my brother totally thrived. He was two years older. He totally became like the mascot of the high school and wore like a little uh, Daniel Boone hat and everything. He's clean okay, okay. I did not do so well. Uh, real quick, uh, people in the chat room, Rob, say hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Everybody in the chat room, can you hear Rob? We still got some weirdness going on with our sound, according to Mario. So we're checking. If right. you, we're able to hear Rob hello. say in the chat room that you were able to hear Rob. And okay, we'll vamp good. until we get confirmation. Uh, let's see. Where were well, we? I want to I wanna jump in here on A okay. because that came out wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I often feel the same way about they, you, they can especially you. with your good new haircut. They can hear you just fine, <laughs> Yeah, Robbie. we can hear you. I, I would like to follow up on A's excellent point. Um, you know, because Scott, you bounced around a little bit when you were younger as well. And That's right. That idea of moving into the new town. But I grew up in Sheboygan, never lived anywhere but Sheboygan. But this has the 
the whole fish out of water thing that I think every teenager feels mm. at some point, even if you've been surrounded by these people your whole life. So that was kind of neat. And the cool thing about Karate Kid was, I mean, think about it. Movies in the early 80s that surrounded teenagers were slasher films, mm -hmm. uh, you know, raunchy booby comedies. Love them. Not that there's anything wrong with Porky's, raunchy booby comedies. Porky's, for example. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly correct. Or, um, you know, like the, the very melodramatic, mm -hmm. oh, my parents are getting divorced kind of movies. Yeah, you're so, totally right. They, everybody went through a similar yeah. thing. Right. And, but this is kind of cool that it, it focused on a teenager and it was kind of more normal than any of those genres. Okay. Yeah. I got to tell you, I, I never, I never walked into the, you know, cheerleaders getting undressed in the shower when I was in high school. So I'm, <sighs> I was a little disappointed, a little let down, truth be told. Well, and I'll tell you, you make a good point. The, when we were rewatching for this cast, um, we've been doing this a lot lately and, and sometimes movies don't quite hold up. We had sort of talked about a similar thing with uh, Caddyshack where it held up okay, but at least for me, it sort of looked like a, a, a a product of its time back in the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This one holds up really well. I, I didn't ever cruise like they do in the movies. We talked about that a little yeah, bit, and yeah, I'm sure mm -hmm. you probably did. That was a more like more Midwestern. That was all we thing. had to do in Sheboygan. Yeah, we had nothing yeah. Else and to I do couldn't do that because so. no car. But um, but yeah, I this one held up really well in that exact regard. It had this lovely. Um, gosh, this feels like. This this, uh, this sort of feels like home. This feels like an experience I had. And there's not any super tragic, super weird kind of thing like, you know, Cobra Kai doesn't kill anybody or anything like that, which would turn it into a, oh, that didn't happen in my life kind of thing. Again, red red trailer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what are, we, uh, what are we drinking here? This is we lovely. We are drinking uh, at each time. Cheers to you guys. Cheers to you guys. We are drinking something called the Brush of the Bush. Oh, Lord sakes, you guys. <laughs> I'm a brush of the bush. It, it is from Shaker and Spoon. As you guys know, we got a gift subscription to Shaker and Spoon, so we make them here um, just to try new things and let you guys know this is a mezcal drink. It's pretty tasty. Uh, okay. And since you guys were having hey. a brush of the bush, I also, since this really cool couple from California, ooh, <laughs> alliteration is alive already. Um, this really cool couple from California got me a Shaker and Spoon yeah, subscription. Looks good. And Cheers. I have exactly the same yeah, thing. Buddy. So, Except yours cheer. is cuter with the umbrella. You've got Cheers, yeah. guys. Yeah. Cheers to all of you in the chat room. Jaunty Umbrella Rob. Uh, Stephanie Savinkoff, yes, I'm, I'm feeling uh, drastically better. Mm -hmm. Although my, my tolerance for cold apparently is vanished. Vanished. Ooh, um, that's a steep drink because it is mostly got, just... That's got a little punch to it. That's yeah. I, mostly just mezcal, so of course it does. Better, <laughs> better a drink in my mouth than two rushes in the bush. I mean, I, okay. Better a bush in my mouth than two drinks in the uh, uh, brushes? Um, Wait, sure. I don't know where this well, is going. Well, I know oh, it's not going don't anywhere. Don't your bush, <laughs> then you'll get dead disease. Yeah, so Howard, <laughs> this is totally not sponsored in any way, as you can tell, because they would not allow all this naughty talk. Um, but if you go to Shaker and Spoon, and the end is an ampersand. But if you Google Shaker and Spoon, it'll come up. It's a monthly subscription where they send you everything but the alcohol, uh, yeah. which is nice because you can source that locally, pick your favorite brands, that kind of thing. Jason Brown, I turned that video off because screw that video. If it bothers screw you, go damn it, it bothers us, Jason Brown. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's get into the movie. Let's get into the movie. Uh, and first of all, the thing that matters to me more than anything else, it's about them ducats, y'all. It's about the <laughs> box office. Art, art, smart, 
fart, don't care. AK, how are we looking on the numbers of this uh, this baby? Uh, so the uh, Karate Kid cost $8 million. The budget was $8 million. If you adjust that for inflation, that's about $20 million today. Okay. And um, it took in, back in the day, just shy of $91 million in its uh, box office in its original release adjusted to today's dollars that would be 228 million god damn dollars. that's pretty much i mean that's there's no way that, and is that does that include foreign or does that include dvd uh, any idea or is that just straight box office so it's it's worldwide box office okay. but it's just box office it's not uh streaming and it's not dvd releases or whatever I think uh, what you put down is that that was just the domestic take, not even the American Yeah, I, I checked it again this morning, and that was the worldwide week. That was the, worldwide yeah, that was the worldwide But here's the thing about Karate Kid. It was in the top ten movies of the week for like six months. Okay. It was, it was one of those movies that just kept going, just kept going, and nothing would knock it out. So that obviously helped it pick up its, its box office. Robbie, do you know, did it come out with a bang, or was it one of those slow builders, slow burners? Um, I got to admit... I don't recall, because remember, you know, in Sheboygan, we got movies three months after everybody else did, so it probably didn't matter to us. Um, I think this was very well promoted and very well pushed, okay. so yeah, okay. I, I think it, it likely came out with a splash, especially since it got a uh, an Oscar nomination. Oh, so. of course. Sure, yeah. uh, let's give a quick shout out to Colin L. watching on YouTube, who just pre-ordered Mount Fitzroy. <laughs> cheers, guys. Hey, sir, cheers. Sir, well um, done, well done. I, you know, Rob's mentioned a couple of times on, on this cast since he's joined, the idea that back in the day when a lot of these movies were coming out, they released on purpose on each coast because they had they had a physical print that was oh, many right. reels big that they had to get. So if you think about it in that regard, and I also don't know if this came out strong or whatever, but that it that it was doing well enough also gave them time to be like, oh, hey, Larry, let's make five of those instead of just more one prints. more of those okay. so that they could go in bigger places. And then I, I wonder if that's part of the, the wave of six months always in the top 10 movies kind of thing. Yeah. Well. So, we've established it was a juggernaut, a behemoth, a leviathan. <laughs> and yes. now, we're going to talk about what made this movie, uh, there are several elements that made it magical, a straightforward hero's journey, revenge, plot, script, without the severed chickens. Uh, but we've got a solid teen drama, we've got solid feel-good, this and that, but what really made it, when you combine with those things, is, let's talk about, let's talk about the cast. Let's talk yeah, about the for actors. Sure. For sure, for sure. Uh, so I'll, um, I'll also say before we begin, I think one of the, you just said hero's journey, and I find, now I'm thinking about what Rob's had at the top of the hour, where, um, you know, this is a journey everybody went through in some form. So it didn't matter that Daniel LaRusso is a dude, he didn't matter that he was a karate dude, I was neither of those things. I still got bullied, and I said at the top of the hour, I had a little bit of a hard time adjusting to a new school, I, so it, it's kind of an everyman journey, yeah. too. I went through some element of this. Uh, there was, of course, Sheboygan High School, Sheboygan Junior High, like every other school in the world, has its its fair share of bullying, and being a super, super scrawny, tiny human being, Yeah. Um, my real-life karate kid was when we got wrestling when I was a junior, and uh, as I've said many times, this is the first time I was ever competing against people my own size, but the... The amount of confidence building that gave to see if I put in all of this hard work and I'm willing to get punched in the mouth repeatedly, there are massive benefits for the hard work and for all the discipline. And Joshua Loy is a martial artist. He's in the audience now. You know, you know, it, it, learning how to take a beating and get up and keep coming, which is kind of the center point of this movie and fight through pain and endure 
is uh, that resonated dramatically mm-hmm. with me. So this movie still resonates huge with me. Rob, Rob was a beast in high school wrestling, a beast. Let's not, let's not talk <laughs> about that. Uh, but you know... I, I, I felt beasty, but I was not, <laughs> not even sure what that means. It must be the mescal talking. But, must be. But that's a great point, and the casting really shows that. Daniel LaRusso, I mean, Ralph Macchio was six inches shorter than, they made all the Cobra Kai guys tall. Yeah. So he was physically, they were physically imposing to him. And then you bring in Pat Morita, and he's a foot shorter than, than Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Him, right? And so, yeah, that's that whole idea of you're the underdog because you're physically smaller, but with the hard work, you can take guys that are bigger than you. Yeah. Well, and I also think that. that that hero's journey thing, this was a specific um, uh, uh, area of expertise for this particular director. This yeah. movie was directed by John C. Ad- Advilson. I believe. Uh-huh. Advilson. That's the gentleman Advilson. we're looking at yeah, right that's here. That's the gentleman hoisting his Oscar, uh, for, <laughs> which he won for... <laughs> So you may not know his face or his name. That's a new euphemism right there. I'm going to go hoist my uh, my Oscar. Ain't anybody going to misconstrue that. Everybody's going to be like, wait, did he really win an Oh, no, talking about something else. But everybody is going to assume that dude won an Oscar. Uh, And he actually did. You may not know his name or his face, but he was an absolute workhorse in Hollywood when he was working. He directed the original Rocky, which is what that Oscar is for. Oh, what? That's what I'm saying. Ain't anybody yeah. going to mistake that he's talking about his pee because he, he won an Oscar for directing Rocky. Yes? I was uh, very behind in preparation to, this he week. He could talk about his pee he, he, he probably could, could. could because he also directed Rocky Five, which was meant to be the final. So he was supposed to book in Is that the Tom, Machine Gun Tommy one? No. <laughs> no that um, was the guy who fought. No, four no. no was, well, I'm trying to think. It's not. Five four, was the. Uh, four, four was Creed. No, no, a no, four no, was a uh, 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 four uh, Dolph. was Tommy Dolph. Gunn. Yeah. Five was um, Mason Dixon. It okay, was quite so, forgettable. And that was meant to be. He he was meant to bookend that series, but of course they made more, which is which is fine. Uh, he also directed all three of the original Karate Kid movies. He directed Lean on Me, and this is a wow. little personal favorite of mine. It it wasn't a very well received movie, but uh, he made Eight Seconds with Luke Perry back in the day, and Eight Seconds is the story, a true story of um, Lane Frost, who was a bull rider, and the Eight Seconds refers to the 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 record breaking ride that that Lane had, and it was just a lovely performance yeah. by Luke Perry. It isn't a great movie, but it was a gorgeous performance by He Luke just Perry. died, yeah, I right? Think that's, uh, I think that's all yeah. the story smack we need to do on eight seconds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fair. Fair enough. You're co- you're totally correct. I know it's, a, I know it's got a soft spot in my heart. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so John, yeah. he was a gr- quite a quite a good director for this kind of hero's quest story, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that is an amazing, amazing, uh, amazing resume as uh, Don points out in the chat room. But let's go on to let's go on to the gentleman who abs. Now you could have had you could have had several people who could have played the role of Ralph Macchio's role, and not uh, not that uh, he didn't do a are great. We doing Ralph Macchio? No, no. Oh, I'm saying uh, not that he didn't do a great job and was perfect for the role. But really, what made this movie was this gentleman. Yeah, for this sure. This gentleman yeah. made this movie. No, no doubt about it. And uh, it, it's interesting that talking about other people that could have done this role. So there's back in the 70s and 80s, there was a guy by the name of Fumio Tamura, who was a Japanese karate champ in okay. Southern California. Uh-huh. And uh, they basically said they kind of based Mr. Miyagi off of him. And um, they actually considered maybe he should just play the role himself. But they decided, well, we actually probably need an actor since he's the cornerstone of this movie. But Fumio actually was Marita's stunt double. So he did get to be in the movie. Um, was he the same size? Considered... Was, he another, was he another little tiny guy, too? 
Yeah, yeah, he was a little oh, tiny Japanese so guy. Good. Yeah, I mean, he, so he really good. was him. So, like, for instance, the the scene where he's kicking the, the Cobra Kai butt, um, you know, when they're all in the skeleton costumes, that's that's Fumio, that whole, oh, that whole yeah. time. That, oh, that's you're him. Only the close-ups are Pat Morita. Yeah. He did all of Morita's intricate uh, karate work during the movie. Oh, wow. It's yeah, that, that's it, and it makes sense because uh, that all of that, like that was in darkness and shadow. Remember back in the day, less CGI. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. OK, yeah. 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 You'll notice during that scene, you, you pretty much only see Miyagi from the back. Mm-hmm. That's because he has a different face. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry Wontraub, who was the, uh, the uh, producer, also was looking at um, Toshiro Mifune, who, if you're a fan of, mm-hmm. of Japanese movie, of Kurosawa films, you know, samurai movies, mm-hmm. essentially, um, from back in the day. And he was the star of Seven Samurai, which is really the most famous one. Yeah. And they considered him, but they were like, well, there's some lighthearted things that we're just not sure that he can pull off. So okay. the director, Avildsen, wanted to go for somebody that had comedy chops, but Weintraub was just like, well, this Pat Morita guy, all I know him from is Sanford and Son and Happy Days. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And they brought him in and, you know, he he grew up in California. Okay. And so he didn't have a Japanese accent. Yeah, his parents, <laughs> you know, came over from Japan. But he was just... He didn't have a Japanese accent and, and Weintraub wasn't convinced. So they actually got him. He grew out that Japanese looking beard mm-hmm. and came in with a Japanese accent. And Weintraub saw the screen test and went, oh, oh, OK, yeah, he, he'll work. He'll do okay. <laughs> and, and honestly, so and it's funny, um, Nuriaki was his given name. But mm-hmm. um, when he was a kid, he was in the hospital a lot, like from the ages of two to 11. He had spinal tuberculosis and was Ooh. in body casts. And they were afraid he was never going to walk, that kind of stuff. I mean, this guy's got an amazing life. But um, one of the one of the priests that was at one of the hospitals said, well, I'm going to I'm going to baptize you and you're going to be Patrick Aloysius Nurioka Marita. So (laughs) everyone just started calling him Pat. And that's the name he had. And all of his acting gigs, he was Pat Marita. But Weintraub was like, well, it'll look better on the posters if he looks more Japanese. So. They got him to use for the first time as a professional his given name, Nuriaku. It was, it yeah. was, you know, it was his real name, but he'd never used it professionally before, and only used it for the Karate Kid movies and a couple other appearances in his professional career. Really? But they wanted him to seem more Japanese, apparently. So it okay. worked. Okay. And you actually brought up a really, I, I didn't know this, and it was really interesting to me that um, the headband, which is so essential, yeah. such essential branding to the Karate Kid, actually wasn't part of the script originally. You said uh, that he happened to have it and gave it kind of in an improv way uh, to Daniel to have him put it on. And then yeah. my favorite part of this he got to keep it. Like Ralph Macchio has it to this day, which I love. Wow. Yeah. And if yeah. you wow. think about it, that like seeing that and seeing the Cobra Kai make you think about this particular movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally it's just Cobra a headband that, yeah. that that Pat Marita had. And he was like, so the first scene, <laughs> he's actually wearing it first when he's first working on the bonsai trees. Yeah. Um, and then he eventually gives it to him. It's like the, you know, the passing of the torch. You are now my student kind of thing. None of that was in the script. Pat what? just did it. And they were like, Oh, that's that's pretty cool. And then, of course, that headband <laughs> appeared in every damn Karate Kid movie it's, after that. It's so very it brandable. Something that, yeah, Pat pulled out of his pocket. So thank God it wasn't like, you know, like a, a bloody snot rag For or sure. something like that. For it would sure. a whole different movie. But, I mean, this is such a, an iconic part of this movie. And to think it 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 is exactly the sort of same um, 
fruition as I love you, I know is in mm-hmm. in between Leia and uh, no, yeah Carrie Fisher and 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 uh, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford yeah. improved that, mm-hmm. and and everybody knows that story. And this is just as iconic for the movie, and I never knew that. It's interesting. Well, another thing we almost missed out on was the um, the drunk. Uh, Miyagi uh, has got his drink, army costume drink. back on again. And yeah. honestly, what everyone who's seen it since, they almost cut it just for time. They're like, ah, we're running about eight minutes oh, too long. God. Let's get rid of that scene, right? It's the deepest scene in the whole movie. Thank you. That's that's the heart. That's when Miyagi stops being just some guy teaching him karate, turning into, wow, I, I'm really connecting with this guy and we're actual friends. He's more than just my teacher kind of thing. Um, and he's a but, father figure by then, too, like in yeah, a whole cloth way instead of just a teacher. Yeah, because yeah. As, as Scott mentioned, there is no other father figure yeah. in the movie other than him. So um, that scene, they almost cut for time mm-hmm. and it, people will say the reason Pat Morita got an Oscar nomination was because of that scene, because he's yeah. so great in that scene. And, yes. and um, the, the one thing, cause remember he's talking about, you know, and his, his wife and their unborn child, they die during labor uh, right. in a, an internment camp, yeah, a Japanese yeah. American internment camp, which is just one of the darkest moments in American history, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he uh, he's got his uniform on and you could see by the patches and everything he was part of the 442 which was an infantry regiment that was real and was primarily japanese americans and to this day it is the most decorated small unit mm-hmm. in all of united states military history yeah. um and so these people whose families were in internment camps yep. relocation camps sorry yep. right back home are overseas fighting the Germans while their families have no rights back in the United States. And they went in there and they were the best unit of the war. So, you know, kind of. And, uh, you know, this is, of course, this is a lighthearted family drama, basically. But the directors and scriptwriters still went to the effort to to showcase this uh, this black mark on our country's history, yeah. mm-hmm. and if you guys want, if you guys want to read up on some bad, I'll pay the I'll pay the fine. You want to read up on some <laughs> badass motherfuckers? Read about the four forty second. They were they were straight up beasts, and they yeah. they were hugely influential in the war. They had one event that saved an enormous amount of lives when other people would not go in. They went in, and you should read up on that on your own time. It's great. But let's move on. Let's move on to the young man who. Uh, and he, and I'm not saying he's a one-hit wonder, but this was this hit was so big. What do you? How do you follow up on this with your pegged pants and your flipped-up denim collar, dude? And the thing is, he, like, there's so much about him that's such an interesting uh, piece of this um, movie. He he was, as I understand it, he was not even this first choice, second choice. He was somewhere in the top ten, I guess. But I feel like so much of his um, his he just has such an honest. Um, readable face and I think quite a lot of his success was just like when he's super mad at Miyagi in the beginning he's super mad at me like you can read that on his face and that I think is a rare quality especially in a young actor I'll jump in with it I think the thing he did the best the thing he communicated the best was the deer in the headlights Uh, Mm -hmm. and if you've ever been a young man or young woman however you identify and been forced into a physical altercation that you are not at all prepared for and didn't see coming that, you know, that just that, that open mouth wide eyed, like what, what is happening and how, 
how do I do this? How do I get out of it? Ralph Macchio nailed that. Could have been his whole screen test. Like, okay, guys, you're coming to beach. What are you gonna do? He's like, uh, uh-huh. you're hired. That's it. We got you. You're hired. And the look of despair when you think, well, okay, now they're gonna stop. Like, like after the first time he hits Johnny on the beach, he's like, okay, we're good, we're good, right? And Johnny's like, oh, no, hell no, we ain't good. And he's just like, well, wait, we're supposed to shake hands now and be best friends. Yeah, now ain't that kind of movie. And uh, this is amazing. Charlie Sheen and Sean friggin' Penn were offered the role and turned it down. So weird. Kyle so Eastwood weird. was passed over. So his his dad. Clint banned Coke products from his future in movies this because Coke, me about because Coke owned Columbia Pictures <laughs> at the time, and Clint Eastwood said, fuck those guys. That's, that's a quote. Gosh, uh, I'm so surprised that Clint Eastwood was a jerk. What? Yeah. Character what are the odds? Character was originally Daniel Weber, but uh, the name was changed to LaRusso after Macchio was cast to embrace his Italian background. Because, you know, if we're going to hit... We're going to hit one racial stereotype. Why not double down on a couple more? That's great. Absolutely. And uh, it and because of this movie, because this movie has had such an impact on life, <laughs> Machio named his son Daniel, and mm-hmm. that brings it all comes comes all back around and makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. Daniel, son. So um, <laughs> that's what Thank I was trying to. I thought I thought somebody was going to do that, and, and I you can always you can always mouth. count on Rob to come home oh with the goodness, easy funny. Gracious. Low-hanging um, fruit, baby, just like those giraffes. And like I said, uh, he Ralph Macchio was 22 years old in this movie. Fresh-faced 16-year-old uh, Daniel LaRusso, 22-year-old it's Ralph Macchio. So skinny. Nobody and so skinny. So I would have believed it. No way. I would never yeah, believe that he was. Just, I would have thought he was younger than all the rest of the teen actors. No agreed. doubt about it. And especially because his his body type is very. Um, atypical for uh, a 22 year old actor which he, he was actively trying to break into the business you would think he might have bulked up a little bit but it worked out for this role in the climate ravaged world of 2072 the city of pura stands as a miraculous green haven pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes fires floods and droughts in a time when the world outside is unsafe It's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Um, I also think that uh, one of my favorite things is since it's followed him his entire career, he didn't like the name Karate Kid. He thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yep, okay, yeah. okay. I love that. Let's see. And Robbie, um, we, we, I, I'm not going to lie. I was unaware that Pat Morita did not do those fight scenes because it looked like, because I was like, okay, this, like the fight scene where the kid, when the kids are all dressed in the skeletons, it's mm-hmm. a little jilted, it's a little stilted, it's a little awkward. Like, that's not how fights actually work, but that's a karate movie. That's okay. To find out he didn't do his own stuff was impressive, but Ralph Macchio, you could tell that motherfucker trained up for this, though. He was, yeah, you look good. It, it, it's interesting, even when, you know, like they have him in silhouette and he's on the boat and rehearsing on his own after the drunk scene and all that kind of stuff, you can tell by that body type yeah. and oh, the way yeah. he moves that that's Ralph Macchio. So, yeah, Ralph Macchio did all his own fight scenes. All of his own stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, the only stunt in the movie that's not Ralph Macchio is when he gets knocked off his bike and rolls down the hill. Okay. But um, but he did that. He did takes of that. And then they were just like, it looks too real. It needs to be more exaggerated. So then they had the stunt man and he does the extra flips and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Ralph Macchio actually did roll down that hill oh and fall goodness. off his bike. He did all of his own Could stunts and all of his own fight scenes, which is pretty impressive. Super impressive. Can you be that young? 22 is pretty young to be that dedicated of a method actor to mm-hmm. be like, I'm doing all my own stunts. Yes, I will roll down that hill. Teach me how not to break my clavicle. Uh, oh, you're going to reshoot it because it looked too realistic? Yeah. <laughs> let me let me just nurse all my road rash for the next three oh, he days. Did, he did. Uh, from, from, a, from a fighting perspective, I thought he did a really good job. The fight scenes were well choreographed. The fight scenes he is in look a lot more natural than the ones Pat Morita is in. And it's the, you know, the short jabs to the sternum mm-hmm. and just getting the point. They also did a very good job in this movie. Of it doesn't it doesn't have to be a spinning back round kick that knocks right. the bad guy's tooth out with a slow motion trail of blood. They captured the essence of the character and the character's training by just boop, quick jab to the chest. That's point. And they they didn't oh, overemphasize it. And it was ma- part of the magic was he wasn't a brutal, mean, rocky type fighter. Right. He was just a technician, and he learned very well. And it was great. It was great. Uh, Ralph Macchio, I, I have been informed by my lovely cast, that, and I didn't know this. I, I'm now enjoying the fact I did not have time to read the script. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Scott's <laughs> learning things as he's teaching you things. Good thing it's, we have a movie maven on. It's, <laughs> good good thing I, that there's somebody here who knows what they're talking I'm about. I'm friggin' delighted by all of this information that I did not know. Facts you might not know, eh? Now I'm Actually, on the butt end of that. facts only you did not know uh, for this cast. <laughs> just because we have read this script. Already. Ralph was given the 1948 Ford Super yes. Deluxe Club Convertible that he got from Miyagi in the movie, and he still drives it if you did not if you had any question that the guy who stars in this movie cherubic skinny lovely ralph macchio was a almost typecast he still drives the car and he also got to keep the all valley karate tournament championship trophy which is uh which is great so now i don't have any experience you guys both do i don't have any experience with you guys um have been there at a tournament like this you you've seen the trophies and everything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i i don't have any any uh mapping of that in my life um so i'm wondering i I feel like all valley tournament is is a little nondescript (laughs) all valley karate tournament could be i mean there's valleys all over the country but i assume that this was probably just the 
San Fernando San Valley. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So was how, did you guys do these sorts of things? We did all kinds of them. Um, we, when we, when we, our martial art was wrestling and mm-hmm. you would go, we were in a very tiny town in uh, Northern Michigan and um, you would get on a bus at four or five o'clock in the morning. You would drive for four hours to, and then you, of course you would sleep on the bus. Well, of course, Rob and I, <laughs> we, it was, around it was, you just it was, irritated it the rest of your comedy time, son. We've got, we've got 40 guys in a captive audience. You are going to watch <laughs> our stand up and our bits. This yeah, is what's just, going what to happen. What I would do Jesus, was stop Hitler. everyone else from sleeping <laughs> yeah. on the bus is what we would do. I can totally see that. Not see, that you guys do that every time you're together. You would, yeah. you would get there at about eight o'clock. The tournament would start about nine o'clock. And they were just and random. Bring in teams from all over, all the, over state. the state. And so all there'd be state. 10, 12 teams there. And so yep. then do you Same go atmosphere. home like at 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. We, or something? We would usually, I remember, and it's a long time ago, the things I remember most about the tournaments was the getting up early, because I had, probably hadn't slept the whole night. I was a very hyper kid. Getting on the bus, trying to sleep, not being able to sleep. Rob and I just literally just poking people in the head tra- in the mm-hmm. bus in the seat next to us. Oh, Lord. And we're, it's all fun and games till you get there. And then the second you get there, the switch goes off. And what I was doing at the time was completely overdosing on caffeine. Six pack of Mountain Dew, two one for the road bars, anything to get some caffeine going. Then and I jolt cola, jolt, 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 jolt. I don't remember. That sounds like PTSD to me, you guys, as a oh. person who experiences PTSD. That Rob cannot hear you say jolt, 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 jolt. I'm like. That, that would make me a little worried. And and then we would get there, and the competitive switch would go on. I can't speak for Rob, but I just all I did was stare at the guy I was going to wrestle and imagine that he was trying to kill my parents. That's all I did. And then I would just walk around the edge of the mat, like doing, I don't know why, I did this with my hands, and just staring at the kid, staring at the kid. And I, I, and then we would go out, and we would we would do battle. It was super fun. And then the tournament was over. Then I would sleep on the way back, and then I would get back home at like 11.30 at night. And I would see my girlfriend, Julie Wonky, be waiting to pick me up. Mm. And and I would have like swollen lip, broken tooth, black eye. Just It was a lot more brutal back in the day than it is now. The high school wrestling was. very attractive. Was. Let me tell you. Yeah. And I would get in. I would like usually give a smoosh. And then like, ah, I can't kiss anymore. That hurts. Get in her Buick Skylark and then fall asleep. <laughs> And she would take me home and wake me up so I would be able to get it. That was our date. That was our date night. So, uh, <laughs> Robbie, do you agree with this assessment of the wrestling t- trip on the bus? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, walking in where they had the, you know, the different rings set up, we would have six mats set up in a giant auditorium or, or a, um, a, a gym, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. there were constantly matches going on. So, yeah, when you first see them walking into the tournament and there's already matches going on that they have to kind of walk around, 100%. Exactly. It's so, right great. Feel. so great. And dude. So, so yeah, great. it might have been some made up thing, but it had a real feel to it. That's why I was asking because I don't I don't have a, a, was... a reference point for that. But I will say I do have a question appreciating that y'all were teenagers back. Okay. In the day. Hit me. You were competing and quite competitive. You starved yourselves and didn't drink water so that you can make way in. Correct. Stuff, like unhealthy yes. for you. Very, both. I, oh. I should be six foot two right now. I'm very unhealthy. And then you got on a bus at 2 a.m. for a four hour trip with then you were going to get your face beat in. Oh, it's great. And instead I wish of letting I do your right teammates now. rest and prepare, you poked him in the head. That's correct. 
That is that, that doesn't yeah. seem very competitive uh, to me. I'm trying to figure out what her confusion is here, Scott. It sounds completely normal to me. This is like I'm like I miss that so stinking much. I just feel like you should do that on the way Rob, home when everybody's already competed, and so therefore when they compete, they're the most well rested they can be. This will show you how uh, out of whack my priorities were. I got maybe two hours of sleep and then 24 hours before I got home to see my high school girlfriend who was there to pick me up because yeah. I never did anything but wrestle all the time yeah. and then I would fall asleep in the car every time. Rob, let's talk about the, let's talk about the crane technique. Let's talk about the kick to the yeah. face. I'm so, a little confused. I think is that Ill, you, because you can hit people in the head, can't you? Well, okay. So you can kick people in the head, but you can't punch people in the head. What? So if you're watching the points, um, in the uh, well, you can kick people in the back of the head, but you can't punch people in the face. So, for instance, uh, both competitors at the end in the final thing, both um, Johnny and Daniel, are at two points, mm -hmm. and Johnny punches Daniel right in the face, and he doesn't get a point. The, uh, the, the ref, the ref does do this, but he also doesn't get penalized. Why doesn't he get penalized? Right, that's the other thing. He probably should have either been disqualified or at least given a warning for that. Now, so kicking someone in the face is okay, but in underage tournaments, the rule is you can't use full power. Right, they, they okay. don't want you to try to hurt somebody as if you were in a real fight. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of, you know, hit them at half power, 70%, it's 80%. Just, you just make, you're supposed to just make contact and that's supposed the point. Supposed to just make contact, okay. right? Not going to injure. So, I mean, we are talking Johnny running straight into a full force crane kick from Daniel. Right. Now, kicking in the face, not against the rules. Kicking him that hard in the face, that could have gotten him disqualified. And all the people all these years that say Cobra Kai was robbed, Johnny Lawrence should have been the three-time champion. He should <laughs> yeah. have been able to yeah. retire as the three-time champ. Um, they might have a leg to stand on. It's just wait just a minute, one leg. One, minute. One, John, wait a yeah, minute. Ahead, one leg to stand on points for you. Very <laughs> nicely done. Yeah, I thought, I thought, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, two, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I, of course, these days I live with a Lions fan, so indulge me for one second. Um, this is an interesting sorry. thing. I watch a lot of Lions football, which I didn't necessarily before, and I have to say, when Scott complains about the refs you know, letting the, the, the opposing team the get time. away with a thing that the Lions never get away with. I, I believe that there is a certain amount of that that I don't think it's every time, but I do see that. And so it's an interesting thing because that Cobra Kai, like, yeah, he shouldn't have used the full force and therefore Cobra Kai should have won. Cool. Cobra Kai would have been disqualified twice before that kick yeah. happened. Yeah. Once for the leg swipe and the other for the oh, punch of the face. Oh, he drops an elbow on the kid's knee. Yeah. You're yeah. out of the yeah. tournament, son. Yeah, You're, gone. Yeah. You're gone. You're gone. Cobra Kai should, should be Absolutely. disqualified. Qualified. Right. So, so if that argument holds water, so so do the the oh my God. Kai infractions. Rob Tinarella is in the chat room. The Tin Rob, Man, the Tin Man <laughs> wrestled with Rob and I. Uh, it was it was uh, Rob. Welcome, love to see you, buddy. Had great times back in the day. Rob was a Rob was a badass motherfucker back in the day. I will mm -hmm. say this. I will settle this with Johnny in the crane kick once and for all. It wasn't that he kicked him so hard he got knocked on his keister. He felt this the light kiss of the foot on his face, and it broke his spirit because he knew he had lost. He knew he would not be he would not have a three peat, and it, and he fell down in disgust, disgrace, and disappointment. The three Ds, a if you will. 
All right. But so I, that think, was, I think so that, that was pride messing with that him was, that knocked him back, right? <laughs> well, that's what it was? Well, okay. I feel like that's a wrestling thing. All right. Here we no, go. No, 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 no. I have something to say. Oh, so go, I think that the thing is, I think also part of Johnny's experience is that, you know, his sensei told him to break the rules and he said no i have this which which has happened once before in this tournament with a different teammate right like when he's looking at him he's like he did break the rules so i know but he but it's Mm, i don't know how to say this but i i wonder if for a kid like johnny it's Mm. not the defeat in the ring that was hard it's that he has spent all this time trusting his sensei yep and now his sensei can he knows he can never trust him again, and that's got to be super hard. Well, like, losing faith in, in your coach, especially if it's one of your first big influences, has got to suck. This was a huge moment in the movie for me. If you buy all the way in, you know, you're all the way into the movie, going down the rabbit hole, uh, Johnny's, the act, William Zabka's performance mm-hmm. in that moment, in that moment, because he he's all the way in. And A and I talked a lot about this. After the movie, our wrestling coach was a gentleman named Dan Kuhn. Dan Kuhn was an all-American wrestler at Alma. And when Dan showed up to Sheboygan High School for our first year of wrestling ever, when uh, Rob and I were juniors, Mm -hmm. he was living in the back of his pickup truck with his Doberman and didn't have a home. (laughs) This is the level of education we got. But we we walked up, and I remember we walked up, first day of practice, Walking up to this guy's car, like, is that? Not I heard that's coach's car. Looking, and a Doberman's like, rah, 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 rah. and we're like, does this guy live in his? And there's a sleeping mat in the back of the back of the car. It was insane. And then we get in there, and he explains that you know he he was an all American wrestler. Then he spent some time you know working the Alaskan pipeline. Then he wrote you know then he worked the rails in the on a, on ranches in Texas. And for 15 and 16 year old boys, we were like, this is God. This yeah. is this is God. <laughs> Anything that guy told me to do, I would have done. So when you see the scene with Johnny, when you see his heart break, he's like, what, you don't have faith? I can take this guy. I know it's tied. I can do this. You should have faith in me. I'm your best fighter. And watching Johnny get William Zabka's performance getting crushed in that moment and then going out and doing something he knows is wrong, he knows in his heart, but the older mentor told him to do it, so he's going to do what the older mentor told him to do. I think that is the most magical performance of the whole movie. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful. I will also say so, several people are saying in the chat room that uh, I'm assuming that William Zabka is also in Cobra Kai uh, now. Oh, yeah. um, so they are they are playing with this particular concept in Cobra Kai right now, which I, I find fascinating because I really feel like this is a it's a trope in movies that doesn't get enough respect. There's this moment where you think, cool, as long as I follow my sensei, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. He's teaching me how to be a man. He's teaching me how to be a man. And then you end up at the, that one breakpoint moment. And this is going to seem like a non sequitur, but I don't have this experience in my life. But I was huge into music and concerts and stuff like that. And I was, grew up in New York, so I was a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. And this is a lot in Bruce Springsteen's music, this moment where you realize, like, oh, I am... Um, here I am, uh, not on the cusp of adulthood, but actually now being charged as an adult. I have no idea what's happening. You know, that comes up a lot in like uh, Springsteen's concept. <laughs> Springsteen's concept album, Nebraska, talks a lot about this. Like, holy, I'm like a 19 year old, and I'm being charged. With, I'm being charged as an adult. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I wasn't. I was on, not on the cusp of adulthood. I'm now being charged as an adult. And I don't the fuck know what I'm doing. Oh my god! And I think that that is a thing that that like unfortunately that Johnny Lawrence dr- has to drag with him into his life. So now I'm much more interested in seeing Cobra Kai because yeah, we'll watch that, we'll watch Cobra Kai. That should be super fun. Uh, let's see, uh, Rob, you have some points on Mr. Zabka here in the yes, character. Billy, quote unquote, William Zabka, as he's officially known there, and tried to go for Billy for a while, and then has tried to come back as an adult and be William. Everyone just knows him as Johnny Lawrence. I mean, that's just, he's just Johnny. Sweep the leg, Johnny. That's just who he is. But does sweep the leg, Donald? How, do, how does that sound to you? No, how no, does, it does not work. Does, is there a problem, Mr. Rice? How, how does that catch you? No? Neither one of those. Especially when we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, a Japanese guy calling somebody else Mr. Rice. Maybe it doesn't work so well. So. Okay. Yeah, his original name in the script was Donald Rice. So it could have been Daniel Weber versus Donald Rice for the All-Valley Karate Game. It just doesn't sound right. No, it does not. Yeah, so thankfully they changed that up. Um, So um, we talked about some of the fighting scenes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Johnny Lawrence, I'm sorry, Billy Zabka did all of his um, fights as well. Okay. And he did them so well um, that when he does that roundhouse kick um, when they're in the skeleton Mm -hmm. suits that really gets... He actually kicked uh, Ralph Macchio right in the face mm-hmm. and uh, and bruised up his chin. And so the so whole Rob, rest of Rob the movie, is that is that the, did that kick make the final cut when he does the the spinning roundhouse? I imagine so because if it looks real, I'm using that take as long as they got good <laughs> film on it. So yeah, I'm I'm going to assume that's the one that made it. But yeah, this is this one right here that he has the whole movie. That's the one real one. All the rest are painted on. But this one was real, the whole rest of the movie, because Billy cocked him good. So it's probably not the one that made the cut, because you imagine he felt that he hit him, and uh-huh. then probably went, oh, crap, sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah, so maybe. that yeah. likely was not the case. Uh, yeah. Although I, I will tell you, there's a lot of places, I didn't include this, there's a ton of places on the internet where you there are people who have done a, a, a movie-long progression showing how that uh, bruise evolves, including, oh, wow. including wow. like things they had to go back and retake or whatever, where like the bruise was this big, but now it is actually smaller. And then you can sort of like, it's it's been filled back in so that it's the same. And it's crazy that anybody has that amount of time in their life. <laughs> obsession, fan obsession is, is a great, great thing. Um, Let's go. We're going to finish up with William because we got to get to what uh, we got to get to clearly, clearly okay. one of the most powerful actors in all of this business. Okay. Powerful. Yeah. I know you're talking about Elizabeth. Shue. I am. Of course. But first I, I do am. have to say, I do also think that Johnny Lawrence is the prototype for the bad blonde boy who's not really bad. He's just misunderstood. Right. I think these are huge Draco Malfoy vibes. They just are. 20 years later. Should I, should I tell later? that real quick story? My Johnny Lawrence version. I told you about this after the movie sure. with Coach Coon. So, okay. So this, we'll make this real quick. We had a, um, gosh, I forgot his name now, but Jeff, Jeff Armantrout. I can't remember. Rob, help me out here. Uh, yeah, that we, sounds right. Jeff, Jeff Armantrout, our, <laughs> uh, our senior year. So I'd wrestled one year and then I was a more accomplished wrestler uh, my senior year. And I, all I did was train all the time. I would train, go to, go to school with my dad before and train before school, go to school at lunch, skip lunch, train practice then after practice go do my own personal practice uh with coach and it was just i was an obsessed obsessed tiny little young man and uh why you did so well which is it it went really well and then we're wrestling and and in my head this is the johnny lawrence scene in my head 
the new kids, this the the sophomores come in, the freshmen come in, and they, you know, like eventually they'll be able to take their beating, but you gotta give people a grace period to build up a little bit of understanding and tolerance. So I'm wrestling Jeff, and Jeff's in my weight class at 126. Very nice kid. I, I can tell he's he's gonna be good someday. He's still got two years to advance, but he's awkward in his body and he's not grown into it yet. We're wrestling, and I'm at a higher level. And we're wrestling with him, and I, I cross-face him, and then I, I take him down, gently take him down, give him a little bit of a bit, little bit of the business on the back end, but not too much. And Dan Kuhn, who, remember, I was 17, Dan Kuhn was 26, 186-pound, All-American wrestler, Olympic All alternate. Muscle. Olympic alternate. Comes up, and he grabs him by, like, the back of the arm right here, where he, like, pinches the fingers behind that muscle, which just paralyzes you and he drags me over and he says he says are you taking it easy on him and i'm like <laughs> no coach yes you are are you gonna do that on a mat no coach <laughs> then you go out and, you go out and practice and you do it just like you're gonna do it in a match i'm like okay coach and i went back out against jeff this was the this was the johnny lawrence moment i'm like this kid He's nice. He's not at this level yet. I should go easy on him. So I blast him in the head, rock his head back, come in, do a head, uh, uh, do a suplex on him. Look up suplex. You don't know what that is. Flip him back. He lands right here and shattered his collarbone when I put him down. Like it was like a suck. Somebody put a suction cup on him and he's a, and he just didn't move. Yeah. We had to call an ambulance. Got to know how to land. And I get up and I'm I'm very upset. <laughs> and Coach Coon comes up and goes. All right, go ahead and do it like you were doing it before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. No. Let's move on from William Zabka. Let's get on to this. Oh, hold on. There we go. Miss Elizabeth Shue. Uh, uh, I will admit, uh, I knew from watching this movie, like, Elizabeth Shue, that's a 20-something young woman. 21. She's 21. 21. I had no idea Ralph Macchio was 22. Exactly. No idea. Yeah. And you think she... she ap- and for me, anyway, she looked well more well put together, not physically, but like emotionally and confidence wise. And that went physically. That, that was, fair enough. But fair enough. She fair wore enough, but. she wore some quite tight sweaters, as I noticed. True. That's True. what it fair. was, though. It was it, she was too erudite, too intelligent, too put together. That you're like I. It wasn't her looks. I did not get that she was 16 at all because I'm like, dude, there ain't the smart 16 in their world ain't that put well, together. And 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 normally, if I'm the girl in, um, in the chat room or in the in the story smack, I might be saying this from a feminist point of view, and I am not for this. Her character is very minor here, purposefully. Like it's an important catalyst for the weird whatever makes Johnny hate Daniel. Mm-hmm. But but then that becomes a thing of its own as soon as Daniel decides he's gonna learn karate. So that goes away. So she's a catalyst and she's a catalyst in that high school like oh kick sand in your face how dare you johnny i'm gonna yeah. go with danny you know that kind of thing <laughs> but but the, you I think know that was a direct quote that was, that was pretty impressive <laughs> but she but but she as a character for almost fulfills her purpose there i think that's kind of her whole role it's kind of they're not gonna it's not like she's adrian and nobody's trying to make her adrian in the rocky movie she's just kind of the rock skipping off the lake that makes Daniel who he is. I think. Yeah. Which is why it was so easy to write her out of the, the, the sequels. Yeah. And uh, it, ladies and gentlemen, if you've not watched The Boys, if you have not watched The Boys, I will tell you that uh, if you are a fan of my work and you like the, uh, you know, the, the superhero, the sci-fi, 
but with people that you would go to the bar and get so drunk someone has to call an Uber and the first Uber kicks you out so the second Uber comes in and he really needs the money so he'll take you home anyways. That kind of entertainment that I write, that's what The Boys is. It's spectacular and Elizabeth Shue is awesome, awesome, awesome in season one. You should check that out. But back uh, in the, the yeah, did, days. She took a break from Harvard. Harvard to shoot this movie. Archie? She couldn't go back and finish a degree for 15 years because she knocked it out of the friggin' park and was too busy working in Hollywood <laughs> to go back to Harvard, to Harvard. And she turned down being in the sequel. She yeah. turned it down. So it's so interesting. This movie has uh, a handful of people who we still know today. Weirdly, several of them we know today because they are involved with this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Shue, definitely not one of them. Pat Morita, we certainly associated with this movie, but this was the last thing of many that we associated, or several at least, that we associated in his career. Um, but I think Elizabeth Shue is this great every person actor, right? Because she's uh, certainly a geek because she was in this movie and she keeps using geeky movies and stuff <clears> like that. But mm -hmm. she did really well for herself for for being the rock skipping off the the lake that is the Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah. I and wonder she, why she turned down the second one. Because she was smart. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Plus, her turning down the second one probably changed the whole scope of it and made it a, a really, really a fun movie. Not as good, but pretty fun. And and it also allowed them to turn into her into a total bitch in the second movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, remember it opens up with him. She crashed his beautiful yellow That's car. That's yeah. Broke yeah. up with him for a college guy. Yeah. And, and oh. Like at the prom, she does all this. So what? yeah, she probably should have taken it because they totally ruined her. They <laughs> they did. We have one more person to talk about. Rob, uh, I went off script on this. What can you tell me about this this gentleman right here? What do Martin you know? Cove. Uh, Martin, Martin Cove. Cove. So of course, Martin Cove also has done a whole bunch of um, TV and uh, movies since then, but he's the bad guy. I bet everybody knows that he's the sensei at Cobra Kai. Sensei Cobra Kai, yeah. I John Kreese. I yep. was going to say, I wonder how many people know his name was John Kreese. I think we don't get a lot of that in the movie. But he um, he is, of course, I'm, he has reprised his role and continues to do so, is my understanding. And I love him because he's a lot of... He's, I don't know how to say who these people are, and I, it's not fair to call them character actors, um, but like iconic character actors. Yeah, very where iconic. When you see them, you know, Wilford Brimley is another one, where when you see Wilford Brimley, you sort of, you, you download a set of skills to that character because it's Wilford Brimley. Mm -hmm. or and you of, know that he's got diabetes. <laughs> yes, hopefully Martin Cove does not. Hopefully he is okay. But, <laughs> but to, to A's point though, Scotty, sorry to interrupt. I'm not actually sorry because I'm going to keep talking. Yeah. But um, to A's point, he plays against that character in the recent commercial he's in where yeah. he's now... He's, he now understands how to do all of his business stuff. What mm -hmm. made him angry before was that he couldn't keep his accounts very well. But now I run Koala Kai and yeah. it's more mercy. You know, and it's like, okay, he he gets it as well. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually had a conversation with a living human being a couple of days ago that said diabetes. And uh, I, I was... It was all I could do to not lose my, oh my well, you know, he's got the diabetes. Um, okay. Diabetes. All right. So now let's get into, um, let's go back to Maine. Let's do, let's go back to guests. Keep Rob's pretty face yeah, up on the screen. So Switch back to here. Now I understand every week, every other week we do this show and I'm like, it's the most amazing movie ever. Tell me all the awards it won. And the answer is like, 
Well, Scott, <laughs> uh, Spaceballs did not win any awards. Uh, did this, baby, did this win any awards? Technically speaking, it did. It actually, um, the big news here is that Pat Morita's um, uh, portrayal of Mr. Miyagi was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar, and mm-hmm. they were both well-deserved nominations, and he didn't win either one of those things, but I agree with his own assessment, which Robbie mentioned, which is, he thinks the reason that he got those nominations is the drunk oh, Miyagi scene. Oh, God, that scene. scene is killer. It is It is killer, yeah. And it changes him into the same, you know, him into human and Daniel into yeah. human in a different way as well. Uh, that's it. There is uh, There was something called a Young Artist Award back in the day, back in the 80s. Um, <laughs> and Elizabeth Shue won for Best Supporting Actress, and William Zabka was nominated but didn't win for his All portrayal right. of Johnny Lee. I'm going to have to date myself here. I'm going to date Rob Day Day. Here we go. Rob. Yes. Were is this movie so old that the MTV Movie Awards were not a thing yet? Is that why? Wow, nineteen eighty four. No, I no, I, I doubt it. So. Remember, MTV would have only been three years old Holy when this movie cats. came out. All so, you people in the audience who who watch this movie and be like, "Why didn't they win an MTV Music Award?" Because you're old. Moon, because man. you're goddamn old. That's why it didn't uh, win anything. It wasn't around yet. So the Music Awards might have been around back, but I don't even think no, they the were. Movie, the MTV the movie, movie Awards didn't come until 1992. Okay. So. All right. All right, you guys. We're gonna finish up. I'm gonna let my two uh, amazing co-hosts of this rattle off. Any? Are there any interesting points? That since I didn't get a chance to read the script, I'll, I'll do but a couple. Should... Then, if you want to do a couple, yeah, I, there's only one. Why you are actually so much more knowledgeable than I am about this movie. There's one thing that I love, love, love that I wanted to make sure that we talked about, um, which is uh, that you know this as well that they, um, the director and the producers, chose to have Cobra Kai and Ralph Macchio train separately, completely mm-hmm. separately, so that they wouldn't get used to each other's fighting styles and they wouldn't see what each other was learning. And and I love that. It's such a smart it's, so good. it's not it's, so it's good. not a rare thing like this happens quite a lot in the avengers movies and stuff like that but yes sir i have a question okay i have a comment a question a equipment. equipment uh equipment. i can see that because oh, we've got equipments when i was wrestling the guys on my team were for lack of a better word sacrosanct you did not go all out you did not you, you did not try and break literally break them sure. break collarbones unless the coach tells you to the second exactly the second you walk onto a mat with kids from another school that you haven't been training with and watch them sacrifice all i want to do is straight up hurt them all the time Interesting. i want to be like i will make you never come on this mat with me ever again you son of a bitch i'm going to break you and the, the the training but i think that will that comes across in the acting it does if you get on the mat with a guy you've been training with all day i don't know how even a great actor, still, you're still like, I, I kind of like this guy. He works really hard. Oh, for sure. And we see this all the time in movie making. We've even talked about it on this cast with Robbie in when we were talking about The Shining, where Stanley Kubrick decided he was going to play psychological games on Shelley Duvall because Shelley Duvall's character was suffering from psych- having to psycholog- psychologically suffering from having to live with a man losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens all the time. I love this one because it's such a subtle thing that you then actually capture when the cameras are rolling. It's super yeah. smart. Yeah. Robbie, and you feel else? like it's your team versus the other team. And yeah. That's, yeah. that's what they were going for. That's what Cobra Kai would have been. Us yes. against everybody else. Robbie, mm-hmm. give me uh, give me, give me me one of your points here. Hit me. All right. So, um, so DC Comics actually had a character named Karate Kid. He was a member of the Futuristic Legion of Superheroes. So uh, Columbia Pictures had to like negotiate. And this is before like anyone realized we should have asked them to give us some money because all they did, they got like a special thank you in the credits. That was it. They said, Hey, we want to make a movie called the karate kid. Oh, okay. Just go ahead and give us a thank you. Like 
<laughs> well, what? Take take a point of of the of the Especially cash proceeds or something, bro. What are you doing? Movie. Right. Oh, um, and they... then the other, the last thing I want to hit. Um, you're the best around oh, that yeah. song, which was the you know the song that was playing while the tournament is happening at the end was written for Rocky Three. What? That was yeah. that was supposed to be the training montage music for Rocky Three, the Joe cats. Esposito song. Instead, it got replaced by Eye of the Tiger, which, which is I think good they call. did a pretty good job. It's a good call. Right? Every, everybody wins. Everybody wins. So then they paid Joe Esposito to get that song to use for the training montage in Flashdance. <laughs> and then traded that song out for Maniac by Michael Sambello. So this guy got paid three times to use this song. They were like, no, we love it. it only got used once. And it's great. It's I love it. You're the best. All right, home. The, the music, I, I, the, I'll i say this, baby, then I'll let you get the last point and we'll close out. The music in this, is, aside from that song, is god-awful. If you guys ever get a moment to sit down for another 90 minutes, watch the whole thing, and like pay attention to the music, it's horrible, even by 80s cheese schlock standards. It's yeah. awful. Baby, and that me. definitely dates this movie, A. That definitely, the music sure. dates for this sure. movie. For yeah, sure. For, for sure. sure. So the only thing is, I wanted to close out by reminding everybody, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, I will remind you Miyagi's uh, initial lessons to Daniel. And there were three of them. Okay. First time that he talks to Daniel about what the goals are. First one is true strength comes from the inside. Second, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Third, never forget to breathe. <laughs> I think in 2020, we can we can maybe incorporate at least one in three. I I can appreciate it. Doesn't matter whether win or lose at my advanced age, but back in the day, this yeah yeah, that, like, yeah exactly. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Yeah. Um, so, I, I prefer Vince Lombardi's take on that. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, but you better win. <laughs> as long as you win, it doesn't matter. Uh, so listen, thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Rob, so much for joining us yet again. Uh, we are going to watch in two weeks. We're going to watch a Christmas. We're going to review a Christmas story. Would you come yes. back for that? Woo! Hell yes! Yes! A Christmas yes. story. Yes. And you know, so I good. Red Rider BB gun with the thing in the stock. Tells <laughs> time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Rob. We'll see you then. All right, Rob. Everybody say goodbye to Rob. Here we go. Yeah. Love you, Rob. And let's go back to Maine. Oops. Hold on. I know how to work <laughs> there this. There we go. Boom. There we go. Black. Boom. Hello, everyone. We are now going to close out this episode of Story Smack. Yeah, this was episode 60 of Story Smack. You can always find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. You can find us online at facebook.com slash story smack, which we update every now and then. I'll get better at that. <laughs> you can watch a stream story smack live at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. We would love to have you join the live stream for two Saturdays a month. Well, and in addition to this story smack that we do two Saturdays a month, uh, twice a week at 6 p.m. Pacific time, everywhere that you are currently watching this, we do an hour of live streaming called Ziggler in Place. If you would like to join us for that, just come back on Tuesday or Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific time right here. And if that's not enough free stuff for your mug, we do a we do a episode of one of my books every gosh darn Sunday we have for 15 years now. 
unabridged, uninterrupted. You get those episodes via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for links. Let me violate your ear every Sunday as God intended it. And we do hope you subscribe so you can hear Scott's books and more stories, not goodness, and more Sigler in Place goodness. But until the next episode, baby, we will talk to them all real soon. Real soon. All right. Bye, pals. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.